Aside from being famous and attractive, Ivana Alawi, Bella Padilla, and Barbie Imperial have another thing in common. They are all Tanduay calendar girls. In the Philippines, Tanduay is probably easily associated with images of scantily clad women because of the TV commercials targeting male patrons. But did you know that this Filipino brand has a very rich history and has been regarded as one of the top brands in the world? Even Neil Caffrey, an artist of refined taste from my favorite TV show White Collar, mentions Tanduay as his favorite rum. In 2017, Tanduay has overtaken the international brand Bacardi as the world's top-selling rum, awarded by a think tank, Drinks International. Since then, the Philippine alcoholic beverage company behind this iconic brand has aggressively accelerated their plans to expand globally. How did Tanduay become the world's number one rum? everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of Banana Q Podcast. Today, we have an extra special guest, Roy Christopher Sumang, the International Business Development Manager for the Filipino brand that has consistently claimed the title as the world's number one rum. It is, of course, the brand that keeps pouring on the good times, Tanduay Rum. Roy, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. Shout out to all the listeners of this podcast. Thanks for having me here, uh, Ray. No problem. The pleasure is all ours, Roy. And I took a quick peek at your LinkedIn profile prior to this call, and I learned that hmm. you have a bachelor's degree in business management from the University of the Philippines. And prior to joining Tanduay, you actually kicked off your career as a financial reporting analyst in Citibank. Yes, that's correct. Coincidentally, that's also my first job. <laughs> <laughs> Very small world. It's really interesting because I just thought initially my career path is and the financial institution but mm-hmm. <laughs> but things happens as it happens and mm. i jumped from finance to marketing so interesting yeah. interesting and i can see that um that jump you'd made to uh, tanduay distillers lasted long like you've been with the company for seven and a half years now how was it like shifting from finance to marketing Well, it's actually a really leap of faith. The whole discipline of uh, the graduate degree that I took is basically preparing you to different fields of business. So mm. uh, when I first started at Citibank, um, it's really focusing on the numbers. So when I got hired as a marketing assistant, my main task is really to crunch numbers. I see. But eventually lead to me going into you know different opportunities for the business. Gotcha. So that's why I was led to... Uh, more on the business development side of the business. So for that's around uh, seven years already, and I've been doing mostly opening new markets for the brand, especially mm. for the international markets. I see. It's quite exciting times for Tanduay as well, because I can see that you have been been very busy internationally. You've been opening several offices across the world and coming up with partnerships with um, other brands as well. So is that what's keeping you busy these days? Yeah, actually, I think I was lucky enough. By the time um, the whole company decided to go uh, global, mm. that's the time I uh, I entered the company. So that was around 2013 when the company 
uh, decided to go global. Mm. I entered in 2014, wherein we're just starting with the grassroots of expansion. So we started in the US and, you know, get the feel of it because I think uh, out of all the countries uh, around the world, I think US is really uh, a bigger cha- or the biggest challenge market that we think we feel that if we ever survive this one, we can survive the other markets or have at least an inspiration for that market. Interesting. Like when you engage with a new market, say in the US, who will be your typical stakeholders? Like who do you talk to when it comes to you know building the Tanduai brand? Is it other brands as well? Or is it like media? Talk me through how, how that's done. Well, actually, the main format or template that we do is actually go into the importer first. Um, mm. We get first the distribution side. We talk to um, the people that we feel that will help us get our products in mm. um, legally. Uh, so that's the first step. We actually look for uh, partners who will be our distributors or mm. importers. And then afterwards, um, we build the market by uh, introducing different programs, different marketing activities, and so on and so forth. So that uh, comes with um, the whole media, the whole third-party agencies, and a lot of uh, people else related to the expansion business. That's smart, right? You start with the distribution channel. Of course, if it doesn't make sense or if it's too expensive to actually import the products to that market, then of course, it it becomes extremely difficult for it to be competitive, right, with the other brands locally. Yeah, that's correct because we get importer or distributor uh, that mm. would take in your products in a legal way because, you know, there has been challenges aside from our brand. I, I think as well as for other local brands wherein we we encounter parallel shipments mm. where, you know, the goods are being sold in a legal way. So, <laughs> I see. <laughs> so that's, that's the one thing what, that we really did. I don't know for the others, but that's the the, the, the way that we feel would be the best way to go into a new market. I must say, Roy, that it's it's quite impressive that only a handful of rum makers in the world are over 160 years old. So it's quite an impressive feat. Could you take us back well to the history of how the brand Tanduai started in 1864? So actually, the whole name of Tanduai came from what we call the Isla de Tanduay. Mm. It's actually a location in Manila. It's near the Malacanang area, the presidential office. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. But why is it Isla de Tanduay? Is- yeah, it sounds like an island, but I think it's surrounded by the creek. So if you're familiar with the Malacanang Palace, it's surrounded by a river, ah. right? There's uh, When you see, when you see, I think, the 20 peso bill, there's the Malacanang. You can see there's a river there. So our location is just near that river. I think that's running along the whole Pasig River. Is that by choice that you are close to Malacanang so that you're closer to the seat of power of the country? No, no it just so happened. It just I, so happened I that uh, the main plant was situated in, in that place, which is uh, in the east of the Tanduay. Hmm. And then eventually, that is our current head office right now. Okay, if we want to go back and go through the whole history of it, so basically it started from the Spanish colony, when we are uh, the colonies of Spain. Mm -hmm. So that goes way back the 1800s. Right. Right. So so if we are familiar with the whole barter system, right? So we have this kind of barter system when we're in, we trade our goods from the Chinese and all the other countries. Mm-hmm. You get me this, I'll give you this. So this is the barter method that we were taught um, 
that was happening way way before. But during the time, the Spanish colonial period, that was the time where in the great import export is coming alive. Mm, trading. So yes. trading. So and Philippines is one of the big sugarcane producers in the world during mm. that time. That's right. So sugarcane is one of the main exports of the Philippines during the 1850s to 1880s. Mm. And so with this amount of sugarcane and with the Spanish expertise of the rum making, they took advantage of how many sugarcanes the Philippines produce. And that came about the whole rum making industry. So the rum making industry were actually taught by the Spaniards. Interesting. So the company started in 1854, where uh, a man named Jose Joaquin Inchausti formed a partnership with Mr. Valentin Teus to acquire artillery in Hagonay, Bulacan. Hmm. And then, then after, they took in Mr. Joaquin Elizalde. Elizalde led the whole company from 1854 onwards. But then again, the Japanese war happened. Hmm. The attack of Pearl Harbor triggered, you know, the whole distress, the whole war happening in Manila. So, and as I mentioned, the main factory was situated in Manila. So during the time of the Japanese war, we have to halt the operations. Hmm. And then the company then recovered and celebrated its centennial year by 1954, just 10 years after the war started. So that's the time the whole company came back to its glory. Ah. And then by 1988, I think this was the time where I mentioned earlier a name called Joaquin Elizalde. So during this time, the company is being owned by the Elizalde family. And then by 1988, this was the time when a Filipino-Chinese businessman who we now know as Mr. Lucio Tan, one of the richest men in the Philippines, mm. acquired and why distillers from the Elizaldes. And then after on, that led to the modernization of whole factory. So we launched uh, new products in the five-year Tanduay Ram that is being known from by all Filipinos. If you are familiar with the term lapad, ah yes, so that, yeah. So that <laughs> that's uh, one of the products that was introduced during that time when the takeover happened. It's interesting. You you kind of reminded me of <laughs> my past. We used to own Sari Sari store that I call Sira Sira store because it keeps on closing down. And I used to uh, bantay the tindahan when I was younger. And yeah. patrons would ask for Tanduay. And yeah. we, we sell two kind of versions. One is Tanduay five years and the other one was 65. And then mm, yes. it's either they get the lapad, the smaller version, or the bigger one we call long neck because the bottle long has neck. a long neck. <laughs> Yeah, that's correct. And in, and in some parts, uh, they also get the Tanduay ESQ. If uh, uh, ESQ. if you're familiar, I think some of those items are more more familiar in the province area. Gotcha. Watch in the Visayas and Mindanao. But definitely, if you hear the word lapad, I think <laughs> Tanduay will come into every Filipino mind. Whether you are a younger generation, because you might have heard it from uh, your father, your tito, <laughs> <Yes>. your tita. <laughs> Who might have been drinking that um, over the past couple of years? That was a very storied history of Tandua. Yep. You've mentioned 1854. Sorry, my note says 64, so this probably is wrong. So 1854, yeah. that's, that's a right. long, long time yeah. ago. And you've mentioned, you know, changes because of the Japanese war in 1940s. And then uh, you've mentioned also the centenary celebration 1954. And then later on, acquisition 
by Lucio Tan. So from all those years of history of Tanduay, could you share how the rum making process also has evolved over the years? And I'm no chemist. And trust me, (laughs) I don't know anything about this process. Talk to me as if I'm a five-year-old really interested in learning how rum is being made. Sure. Okay. So what happens uh, during the whole uh, rum making process? It starts with uh, the sugar cane itself. Mm -hmm. So if you drink rum, one would say that it is sweet to their liking, even though it's bitter. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, there's a lingering flavor of that particular sweetness. And that's because all rums are actually made from sugarcane. It mm. all started from sugarcane. And one of the one of uh, the beautiful areas that we uh, harvest sugarcane is uh, in Negros. And Negros is one of the biggest plantation of sugarcane here in the Philippines. Mm. During the time um, when, when the farmers harvest the sugarcane, um, it then uh, being processed, you know, sugarcane, the main product of it is sugar. Mm. You're familiar with the white sugar, brown sugar, visual yep. sugar. And one of its byproduct is molasses. I see. And molasses as the byproduct is being fermented and then being distilled to become ethanol. Mm. So ethanol then will be the base alcohol of all the rum. Again, coming from the sugarcane, the byproduct is molasses, and then the molasses is being fermented and being distilled to be ethanol. And then the ethanol, it is a very high-proof alcohol. Yep. Sometimes it ranges from 100 to 140% alcohol proof, or rather alcohol percentage. So it's very potent. We can't drink it straight away, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it might burn you. <laughs> it might leave a certain burning feeling. But mm. then again, the, the ethanol is then being added with water and then mm. it is being poured in the barrel. And that's when the whole aging process comes alive. So that's the whole rum making process. So from sugarcane, molasses, ethanol, then added with water, then put into the barrels and then you have the rum. When we add water to the ethanol and you mentioned it needs to be aged, is there a specific kind of aging process that you can share maybe? For how many years does it have to stay in barrels or well, for it to be distilled? Okay, for our rums, we usually use um, use bourbon oak barrels mm. because we don't have direct source of the barrel. So we're actually importing some of it and we're using used oak bourbon barrels because these barrels are already charred. Mm. So, meaning, say, the inside of it has already a distinct oaky flavor. I see. That's what we use. However, you ask about the whole aging process. There's there's two kinds of aging process that we use. Mm. One is the single barrel method, wherein you place the rum in a barrel and you, you age it for a number of years depending on, on what blend you want to achieve. So, we normally have five years. Mm. And sometimes we age up to 10, 7, 12, 16 years, depending on, you know, uh, when we will use that kind of ages for our new products in the future. I see. But definitely we use the five years, but that's the single barrel method. Mm. The second uh, method is called the Solera aging process. The Solera aging process is that every time there's a rub being poured in a barrel, it never gets emptied. Ah. So 
for example, you age a five-year in that Solera barrel or using the Solera process, that barrel, for example, you harvest half of it, which is already five years. So there's a remaining five years blend on that barrel. And then you pour a new batch. So the barrel is never getting emptied. So the age, the five-year age is being blended with a new age. Uh-huh. So it, it still gets the five-year characteristic of the aging process. So that's a continuous process. So the when I mentioned uh, the barrel never gets emptied, it never gets emptied because it retains the, the original aging blend that was being poured in that barrel in the first place. I didn't know the name or the term Solera process, but I can imagine that also being used in other processes as well, like cooking, right? I can, some of the carinderias or some of the restaurants actually have food products that have been aged for a long time because they don't ultimately use everything, like the same wok, the same yeah. kind of broth is being continued on for ages. So I can sense that yeah. it's the same kind of concept and process. And similar way, for example, um, I know maybe uh, you might have experienced this. For example, you mentioned Kirinderia. Sometimes mm-hmm. they use their vinegar or their suka. Mm-hmm. They place uh, chilies, peppercorns there. Mm-hmm. And then every time it gets near empty, they just pour another batch of vinegar. But then <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the, the, the spices retains there. So that's the main uh, example and corollary to what we're doing with the Solera process. And, awesome. and, and not only us, not only us, I think a lot of uh, different manufacturers of spirit, not only rum, are doing this kind of method. This gives the company continuous supply of the age liquid that they need for their products. Good. Good that you mentioned that because if we compare Tanduay with other, say, foreign brands, you could kind of say that what's unique with Tanduay is, number one, raw materials, the ingredients that we use are locally from the Philippines, Philippines being one of the top sugarcane producers in the world. And of course, water quality is also a factor there. But I want to talk about how, you know, the Filipino culture is embedded in the brand. And, and your website mentions that part of what makes Tanduay Asian rum unique is the culture and character of the Filipino people. Could you say more about this statement? When we say we take pride uh, with the culture, the people, it's because we value their hard work. So we start with the farmers. Mm. We value the farmers. We make sure that uh, they're in it for the company. We're also proud with all the employees that we have right now because with the people staying here with us, I think we see their dedication to the company. And when I mentioned or when we or the company mentioned about how the culture is being embedded to the brand, mm. it's because actually I'll just share a, a sample that we've experienced sure. uh, when we are launching the product. So actually, one of the few things that we've encountered pitching the brand to to different countries is that they're aware that there are Filipinos almost everywhere in the world. <laughs> and <laughs> one thing we can be sure of about Filipinos is that they take pride in whatever Filipino origin it has, uh, especially when they're uh, in different countries. So, for example, you know, we take pride, for example, if there's jeepney in New York. Ah, yes. Remember? Yeah. So, uh, I think that's one thing that we we use as our tool to pitching to different distributors is that Filipinos know Tanduay. Mm. Wherever they go, they know Tanduay. If not them... Their fathers or their titos, their titas would know Tanduay. Mm. And that's one thing that we're very proud of because people are very proud about the 
the origins of the Dwai coming from the Philippines. For example, let's say U.S. We encounter second gen or third generation uh, Filipinos. What we feel is that this kind of Filipinos or these Filipinos act as our pseudo brand ambassadors because you know if they see Tandwai in the stores, they may not buy it, but you know they can give word good word about it ah yeah i understand what you're saying like yeah. if if i'm in a foreign country like right now i'm in japan so whenever i see tandoi and say in one of the stalls and i happen to be with a friend who's not filipino i for sure will mention that hey that brand is filipino and friend of- potentially i would sell that uh product to the, to my friend and you're right i would act as a pseudo ambassador i'm not getting anything from tandoi but subconsciously, I have that feeling that I need to advertise or I need to promote that Filipino product to my friend. And that's how we're saying that the culture is embedded to the company, the Filipino pride, the people, people, not only people working for the company, but Filipinos in general would know Tandwai because it's already embedded in their in their history, in their experience from their titos, their titas, <laughs> for their fathers who, who might have drinking Tandwai over the years. So, you know, I think that's one thing that we can say about why we said that the Filipino culture is part of the brand. That pride that Filipinos have in, in being a pseudo-ambassadors to the brand is also well reciprocated, right? Because Tandwai has been declared the world's number one rum by Drinks International magazine consistently. Tandwai as a brand is now joining the ranks of many other prestigious companies like Nokia of Finland, Alliance of Germany, Ferrari of Italy. You know, these brands are being labeled as brand of the year and Tandwai is one of them. What what do you think were the most significant challenges? Of course, being recognized internationally is not an easy feat. What were the steps you had to overcome? I think um, one of the key things that the company has been doing is to be loyal to the loyal consumers. Hmm. We are being loyal to the people who know the brand. And by that, it means um, we focus our marketing strategy for the Filipinos, for the people who drink Tandwai, so that they may continue drinking Tandwai, not only this year, but in the next couple of years. That speaks volume, especially here in the local, in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Let's say um, one of the key Markets that we feel that uh, we dominate is in the Visayas and Mindanao area. And what we do is that we keep things as to how the consumers want Tandwai to be. We make sure that we target the right consumers. We make sure that, for example, there are millennials right now and millennials are are very keen to try new things, Mm. right? They're very, they are very innovative in terms of trying out new things. And for us to pitch Tandwai, you know, the, the lapad and the long neck might not be very receptive for, for the millennial market, right? Because as, as we've said, some of it may, may think of it as very old looking, mm. very matanda. The brand would look too old for them. So in order to do that, we need to launch new products mm. that would cater to this a discerning market. And that's how the company evolves. It it caters not only to the loyal loyal consumers, but also to the people with discerning taste, the people who are innovative. And that's, I think, more on the innovation side. And one of the challenges that we think is that the taste profile or the taste reception is evolving. 
I'm just trying to think of how I remember Tanduay and maybe it's just because I have very limited access to TV, but I remember that the marketing materials for Tanduay is always this sexy vibe, sexy. you know, yeah, targeting to, uh, as you've mentioned, your loyal customers. So can we expect in the future maybe more marketing materials or maybe even different products that are specifically catered to, say, millennials that have very different taste profile as from Filipinos from the prior generations? Is that yeah. is that fair? Yes, and, and, and that's what... That's the one thing and uh, one direction that uh, we're doing is going digital, targeting the digital mm. people, the digital nomads. Because I think most, if not all, of the millennials, the Gen Z, are all inclined in any digital evolution. Mm. And that's where we go. So, yeah, we, we retain uh, the, the one you mentioned. We still have the calendar girls. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and that's for our loyal consumers. However, instead of just, for example, an artist, instead of just doing a calendar and sexy posts, mm-hmm. we also indulge them in different digital activities to target the digital or rather to target the millennial and the Gen Z market. So we do have some segments in YouTube. We The same people who post for the calendar, we also create segments and Ooh. commercials for the people uh, that we are targeting maybe in YouTube, in Facebook, and Instagram. Mm. Is it safe to assume that maybe in the future we can expect a calendar girl streaming online, playing her favorite game via Twitch? Um, <laughs> we, we don't know. We don't know. But with, with the current, you know, things happening, I think this can be, or this might be something, you know, that we can look at way, way into the future. But, I guess it's happening because um just want to share, for example, um just this year, our calendar girl is Ivana Alawi. And Ivana Alawi Ooh. here in the Philippines is one of the biggest vloggers mm. in, in in YouTube. Gotcha. So so we um we're modernizing not only in, in the calendar uh, execution, but also in different digital formats like YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. So going digital, oh, I must say one big industry that's booming right now is esports. Perhaps if Tanduay can sponsor an esports team that would be, you know, that would cover a lot of audiences that would fit in the demographics that would like Tanduay rum. Actually, we're doing that right now. Oh, uh, I didn't know. So we, part- so we partnered with uh, one of the NBA teams in the U.S., which mm. is uh, Golden State Warriors. And Golden State Warriors have their own esports team. They are playing uh, NBA 2K. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah. So they have. So every not all, but um, I think most of the NBA teams have esports team. And since we're partnering partnering with Golden State Warriors, we're also partnered with uh, their esports team. So sometimes uh, they do digital advertis- advertisements uh, during in game. So. Unconsciously, for example, you're playing NBA 2K, and then you see the courtside uh, LEDs uh, of the game. There's Tanduay there. Mm, I see. So, so I think it's not way, way in, into the future, but um, I think we're adapting little by little. Awesome. Is there anything else that we might expect for Tanduay to do in the future? I think what people could expect about Tanduay is that um, there are new things coming. For Tanduay, not only new products, but also new things to explore. Like, for example, um, right now, I think with the effects of pandemic, most of the stores are going digital, right? meaning online selling. And the company just launched uh, last year 
our own online selling platform in the Philippines called Shops.ph. Mm. And we also partnered with Lazada and Shopee to make our products available as well in Lazada and Shopee. You can expect Tandwai to be where the people are. And you can expect Tandwai not only being available in the Philippines, but also if we can almost all over the world. Nice. And that's, that's, that's the target we're looking into, to make Filipino pride uh, happen by introducing Tandwai. Awesome. Thank you very much, Roy. I think that's all I have for today. Thank you as well, Ray. And I'm happy enough to share about the brand and, you know, happy that your listeners can also know about Tandoy. I have been speaking with Roy Christopher Sumang, the Business Development Manager of Tandoy Brands International. If you've enjoyed this conversation, be sure to check out other episodes down an inch or two from wherever you're listening to this podcast. We love to hear from you. Send us a message at bananaqpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on our social media handles. Catch you again next week. Bye.